Hello everyone. Welcome to Crew Room Conversations. I am your host Nitin Velde and I'm delighted to bring to you stories, anecdotes and experiences of some of the best air warriors of the Indian Air Force. So do stay tuned. Happy listening and Jai Hind. and welcome to our crew room conversations 20th october is celebrated as a world atc day for all those who do not know what atc stands for the full form is air traffic control and when i thought that in case i have to invite a good professional with an atc background the name undoubtedly that popped up in my mind is wing commander ruhi kushwa bullar so i am extremely pleased and super excited to invite and welcome ruhi on the show welcome ruhi thank you so much sir uh, and indeed i'll begin uh, with thanking you uh, with all the gratitude from all the entire ats fraternity to put it uh, forth uh, that you considered uh, us a very integral and an important part of the air operations and yes air operations without us are incomplete i have known you for uh, for many many years now and just to introduce you to our uh, audience uh, ruhi has had uh, various posting profiles and uh, last time when we spoke uh, just about a year back you were on your last posting to air force station sirsa where that was a fighter base so uh, hats off to you ruhi i think in your career you've been and have been exposed to all facets of operational flying and surprisingly as i as i remember i don't think you have had a ground tenure that means you have been in and around atc all throughout am i right absolutely correct sir and i'm proud to have been associated with your operations and i loved each and every moment of my service so i'm glad uh, that i was a part of the adc excellent excellent so ruhi just take us back uh, on to the uh, your commission if i'm not wrong in the year 1996 so how is it for an average atc officer the classical way for training how does it start and when do you get uh, posted to an operational base so we were the first batch of uh, women uh, adc uh, officers uh, to be inducted and uh, we got commissioned in 96 after undergoing our initial uh, adam and the basic military training which we all go undergo and uh, earned our uh, stripes of pilot officer and uh, then we have a professional course of 6 uh, months in air traffic control officers training establishment which is an air force uh, academy dundikal so that is where uh, the uh, gamut of entire atc we begin by atc uh, a to z is taught to us there and yes six months is a rigorous uh, period where full marks to all our uh, instructors i still remember uh, we were a co strength of 23 which included 20 uh, lady officers and uh, three male officers oh. so and uh, this bunch uh, number of uh, was really overwhelming for everybody um you need to have a basic of uh, science orientation i would say although the course was a mix of bachelor of arts bachelor of commerce there were some from uh, home science stream as well okay but i think our course did pretty well and uh, the credit will of course go to all the instructors there mm. uh, you know, who started from the scratch all of us did well and in our uh, service careers throughout also i think um, we were the lead batch and uh, the templates were set high 
Sure, sure. Knowing you, I'm, 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 I'm pretty. I'm convinced of what you're saying. There is not an iota of uh, anything less than truth in what you're saying. So interestingly, you know, when when I started to interact with the ATC uh, long back, we used to go and fill up the flight plan and all that. And when I went uh, actually deep into the subject matter of ATC, when I spent uh, instructional tenure in Air Force Academy, and one of the most amazing things I need to tell everybody is that every ATC officer across, I don't know whether it's applicable for. I have a sense that uh, lady officers would be doing very well in ATC. And the reason is they uh, they presumably are good listeners. And that's what I'm, I'm saying with the, with the kind of this thing that uh, any average male, at least in my mind, my wife always keeps telling me that I'm not a good listener. And when I look at any ATC officer, what happens is, and what I have seen is you wear the headset and on your right ear, you're talking and listening and uh, maintaining the RT with the radar. And on your left one, you are monitoring the air traffic, uh, which is in the vicinity of your circuit. So amazing amount of sense of balance, I would say. So definitely, Rui, you, I'm sure, uh, you know, you will agree with me that uh, listening skills, so as to speak, in corporate today, if somebody has to talk, uh, you guys are doing a fantastic job all throughout. So from, from an average perspective, when we say air traffic control, what comes to anybody's mind is a tower. And on the tower, a lot of antennas. So could you give us in some kind of uh, information, more information of what exactly is the overall uh, scope of what we call as the air traffic control? Uh, absolutely, sir. I mean, multitasking comes naturally, I would say. But then nonetheless, uh, while in my service, uh, no gender biases, of course, uh, uh, as far as we faced in the ATC, uh, it was a good working environment with seniors, our mentors, uh, the full marks to them, our colleagues uh, who tutored us and brought us up to this level your actual uh, practical training commences on uh, the field once you get posted to your uh, bases and that's where you start your live controlling. Mm -hmm. Until then it has been a simulated training. Yes, so uh, once we reach our bases, that is where baptism by fire begins actually. So classically what I'll put it is that we are uh, marshals to ensure safe skies. And the primary duty of course remains that uh, no two aircraft goes into each other. Right. So uh, to explain in a very layman uh, language, like you have your roads uh, available uh, with the traffic signals uh, in any city system, sure. you have airways up there. Right. You have your airspace very clearly demarcated where any traffic which is uh, bound to cross your airspace, you would have the prior knowledge. They cannot commence climb and descent without your control, without yeah. your intervention. So that... It's basically safe skies. Anybody has to fly, anybody has to transit. I'm supposed to be the person giving him a clearance to climb, clearance to descend. And on the ground, in case the aircraft is taxiing, I'm supposed to be aware about each and every obstruction so that my aircraft doesn't get into any obstruction with any aircraft or with the, any, maybe a hangar or maybe a tree. Or, so I'm supposed to be fairly aware about what is the wingspan of aircraft and what kind of aircraft operations are coming. Say any X aircraft just suddenly decides to land. So is he able to taxi on a particular taxiway? So fair knowledge about that. And, you know, maintaining... Uh, a very smooth flow of air traffic. So this is, this is, this is you know, when we are talking of now smooth airflow, but I'm also conscious of the fact that another huge responsibility that lies with the person who's on the control at the RT is to maintain the emergency services. So what are these emergency services that come Absolutely. under your... That's uh, one of the most important aspects as well, uh, where uh, we are... Uh, you need to maintain a particular airport category so as to assist... Uh, 
the aircraft operations should any emergency uh, with the aircraft uh, occur okay. my intervention should be within within 2 minutes my specialized uh, fire tenders should be reaching there and i should should be in a position to uh, extricate the people and by within 3 times 3 minutes the fire should be all put down and you know you should be into the barging uh, into the aircraft taking or depending on what kind of aircraft is there sure, it sure. can be a single cockpit it can be a double cockpit yeah. it can be a, a, a big aircraft with uh, besides the pass, uh, besides the crew you could have a multi passenger system so my evacuation system and towards that training is very very important so i have a whole team which assists me in the tar i would have a airman on watch uh, airman on lookout who will ensure uh, there is no incursion on the runway everything is no bird no nothing before i give a clearance to land to the aircraft then i have a team below as the ops clerk who's uh, doing all the clearances numbers initiating a uh, a flight from place a to place b his entire uh, clearances have been obtained the diversions the weather yeah. the navigation aids and my safety crew is the most important uh, morning to evening they are there it's a 365 days a year uh, yeah. and Uh, 24/7 job. There is no uh, Sunday or a Diwali or a Holi. There's no, a I, different situation. I, I need to maintain my watchers. I maintain my watchers. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you because you know uh, one needs to be uh, aware of this fact that if there's one helicopter or like one aeroplane flying, or there could be multiple aeroplanes flying on various details, the amount of uh, shift, if I was to call it that, in terms of your emergency and all, remains uh, same because. Uh, whether it's one aircraft or multiple aircraft your readiness to combat any kind of contingency remains same when there is less traffic what you see a typical uh, atc officer on duty the entire scene changes when there is traffic and the person there on the tower would be just giving instructions and if a newcomer comes to the tower he would be surprised maybe at the kind of uh, instructions that are so crisp and clearly passed to people emergency handling for a, from a pilot's point of view is an extremely important part so you rehearse the emergencies in your briefings you you say what is the article you are going to give the atc and things like that i'm sure that even the atc officers and the entire crew practice their emergency but in your in your career spanning more than two decades uh, any any particular emergency that you quickly can recall and say yes that particular thing happened and uh, your emotions that time your experiences any one of them uh, absolutely emergency handling is uh, one of the most important flying and emergencies go hand in hand flying they bound to be uh, incidents and accidents as well yeah. so uh, to handle that in a most calm and composed manner to be able to deliver your instructions crisp and clear Hmm. uh is one of the most important aspects and of course it comes with the uh, the nature of training we do have a simulated training sessions as well as uh, like the pilots uh undergo uh, similarly for the air traffic controllers also uh, uh emergency comes unannounced you're not prepared for it then so that is how it has to be the like the, the way pilots uh, practice yeah. it, so do the air traffic controllers including the radar controllers right that's what uh, i have been uh, very fortunate in not having uh a very serious nature of emergency but as a young controller i remember with 3 years of service my first emergency uh, major emergency which happened was in jamnagar okay. where um, we had a mig 23 uh, formation uh, four aircraft formation coming in for landing and uh, so everything was okay and no other traffic was in air and classically jamnagar you have a, a cross runway 
3012. I still remember the runway designation. Uh -huh. 3012 runway was uh, more operational than as uh, runway 24 was uh, used only for extreme emergency due to the nature of the old surface. So fair enough, the formations were landing and uh, there was nothing unusual with the pilot had reported. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, the call sign was uh, porous. So okay. uh, I uh, remember the uh, pilot um, on final sense, it was a, a formation landing. So you do give clearances and they're maintaining their own separation. So by the time the first, uh, the aircraft is touches down and is reaching the end of the runway, the second aircraft is already landing. So right. this was the last aircraft to land, of course. And uh, okay, he said uh, they have four greens. So the, it's generally, you know, the pilot had not given the call of uh, greens uh, till very late. So, uh, okay. As a controller, you just say, okay, recheck. Uh, so for this particular category of aircraft, recheck four greens, clear to okay. land, was my call. The moment the aircraft uh, crossed the middle marker and mm -hmm. he touched down his uh, nose, okay. the nose wheel collapsed. Oh, okay. And uh, nose wheel collapsed. On the moment you see, the first thing is as a DATCO, you, pra uh, you press the crash bell. Okay. So you have different, uh, for a single crash well, okay, you start and await uh, further instructions. For two, you know, you continue moving, instructions will follow. Okay. So obviously when you've seen the, the crash well pressed and you know, the CFT crew immediately from the state of uh, just uh, being monitoring the RT and they just come into the most alert phase. Since it, the aircraft was just passing, we saw him and uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, the wheel collapsed and uh, you could see the sparks flying off. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so obviously everybody was, uh, so the moment crash bell rings, uh, it's, a, it's a big uh, sound. The moment any bell rings, so it says, okay, that's an emergency. And everybody, you know, just rushes. And generally you do broadcast on Motorola that so-and-so emergency so that the all people who need to react for yes. uh, that a post-accident, the aircraft came to a halt uh, just short of marker number two to go, meaning say a standard 9,000 feet of runway. Almost the aircraft was, uh, so you still had uh, 2,000 feet of runway remaining. As a 7,000 feet, he was... Uh, and uh, the SFS is saying, uh, just come out of the aircraft and run. And the pilot, of course, unstrapped, uh, did not even, the CFT is reached. But however, by that time, since uh, anything could have happened, right. the aircraft could have caught fire. Sure. And uh, it could have been disastrous. But uh, luckily, um, there was no fire. It was just uh, the sparks which uh, flew and uh, the pilot jumped out and uh, the safety and all applied the adequate media and you know by the time Sassy and all reached and uh, thereafter the aircraft was stored and of course it takes it's a close yeah. to half an hour exercise and you know you clean the runway the DATCO goes for the runway inspection to see any metal pieces any rubber pieces or anything yeah. on the aircraft which sure. could you know hamper the air operations uh, so that what? was done up cleaned up but however that shook me to see that aircraft land and the nose wheel collapse. Nose wheel suddenly collapse I'm sure. Yeah. And at that speed, yes. So yeah, you're expecting a certain activity to go on. You're used to viewing that from the ATC tower. And now as I'm visualizing it, you see something else happening and your limbs are doing something else. You are giving some instructions. Your brain is working ahead of time. So amazing, uh, you know, kind of multitasking, if I was to call. And the another aspect, which I have always uh, very, very fond uh, memories or uh, you know friendships with ATC officer and one I would like to you know kind of share with you also. Uh, this is something I'm talking from point of view of ownership. I was the flight commander in Udhampur, and uh, that's in Jammu and Kashmir. And when you come from Srinagar, you cross a certain pass, Baniyal, 
and we had this officer called as uh, dinesh yadav i still remember the name so uh, one of my aircraft had taken off from srinagar and it had crossed the banyal pass and the weather was little bit marginal or getting bad in the bowl of udhampur and dinesh yadav just gave me a call and said sir uh, aircraft ko cross kiye hue banyal cross kiye hue time ho gaya i am sensing something bad weather or something like that now uh, the moment he said that i just took my uh, two wheeler and i rushed to the atc which was about half a kilometer away and i got onto the tower i got onto the rt and i asked the pilot uh, how's the weather he said sir if i come normally it's not possible weather is bad so there was another alternate routing i said can you come through that valley he said no sir so i just gave him an executive instructions uh, you know go and land into a field and when the weather clears that's what a normal helicopter pilot is supposed to do and he landed there after about half an hour weather cleared up both the pilots came back but what i complimented dinesh and i say it openly today that the am- amazing amount of sense of ownership that he had he was monitoring the traffic not only getting airborne from srinagar in his own mind he was calculating as to how much time it normally takes the moment it did not take that much time uh, there was a certain amount of anxiety in him which he did not hold on to himself he quickly reached out to me so we had a great uh, interaction with the atc officers all over and my favorite has been to uh, sit there and you know understand how you guys move those scripts on which you you are able to actually visualize things we need to learn so many things from atc officers so any uh, any such incidences where you thought that you were quick to adapt to the emerging situation and like we say in the parlance of aviation we always say this situational awareness that means what is happening around me is extremely important for a pilot and the same is the case for an atc officer so any any thoughts on that or any uh, experiences that you can narrate absolutely sir i would relate one uh, which when i was in jammu i had a fairly long tenure of 4 years and a month there from 2006 to 2010 june mm. and uh, so as a good adc uh, concept you know your number of aircraft which get airborne safely you expect all to land back safely Basically. all pilots after doing the mission come back home land safely and uh, get on with their lives yeah. so this is one particular thing we i remember we were one week into the exercise we had a uh, we had an exercise on and uh, it was the final day the culmination where uh, two aircraft uh, mission Mm-hmm. uh got airborne mm-hmm. and uh, that was a no rt uh, mission of course uh, you have your standard procedures uh, as a datco you're aware at this point of time he'll be asking for a lineup this time he'll be getting airborne you know yeah. everything is pre briefed to us and uh, the entire leg wise timings from place a to place yeah. b how he goes and what will be his eta back so that you you tracking the aircraft yeah yeah because so classically not all aircraft are transponder equipped and they not uh, all can be tracked and uh, on the radar and uh, although uh, there are certain blind spots as well where uh, you tend to lose even with a primary pickup okay. so i remember uh, the mission got airborne safely and uh, you were expecting and this was the last mission i believe and uh, we expected the once they land back you know you will be off guard for a while and you know you would look forward to your weekend which was coming over it was a friday mm-hmm. and um, so say some 20 minutes of the flying time and i uh, get a call on um, from the pilot of the number 1 aircraft uh, stating that uh, ma'am i have lost contact with number 2 okay 
for a while initially yes it was an instantaneous communication the the pilot spoke to me on my phone and of course i responded immediately and uh, so first thing is of course you start uh, checking up with your neighboring or radar units do they have any pickup and uh, the moment i call uh, up the um, the signal unit there so uh, the controller they confirm that ma'am uh, it's a crash oh oh okay so obviously if, uh, for a moment uh, you do feel crashed okay uh, the pilots are, have, are there with you you know them day in and day out you work together you socialize together it's uh, uh, it's a home away from home where your relationships are beyond uh, your uh, the, your office level as well yeah. and that's how a true bonding is all about in the military services and uh, for a moment yes i was taken back because i knew both the captain and the co-pilot uh, very very closely but uh, nonetheless um, before we start taking our actions uh, um, i first called up macu which is my first chain of command and uh, then of course my station commander where this thing had happened and so without wasting any time you know you have the search and rescue helicopter would immediately get started up and all yeah, yeah. and um, so fair enough uh, we um, uh, i remember one of the rpas which was operating uh, was the army unit also co located there with us and you know so that was the only aircraft uh, which was uh, available in the day or that time it's a remotely piloted aircraft right right a drone in a, a, sure. a, a parlance these days yes correct, correct. and uh, the the ops room the officer were quick to uh, comprehend and they said ma'am where is the general location so i thought this is the general location and in case uh, how much time will it, uh, take you to reach that particular area right. he said ma'am maximum around uh, 10 to 15 minutes i said okay, okay just once reaching that side just let us know and by that time things were already moving the uh search and rescue helicopter also within i think within 6 minutes the aircraft was airborne which was a very, very record time for getting airborne sure, yeah. all the agencies had been alerted and uh, and uh, once that uh, rpa reached on site and um, it was already transmitting the pictures live and uh, it, they said yes it's a confirmed fatal so that is when you realize okay uh, so that is one mission in my entire service that one aircraft did not come back and land and that stays always heavy in your heart but then yes at that point of time uh, you feel about the safety you always feel that yes uh, things are fine maybe uh, they're not reachable you never think that is the worst thing which has happened unless and until of course it has been announced on the rt sometimes yes you do get a call a uh, mayday mayday and you know sometimes ejection sometimes so uh, this particular thing uh, left uh, and then of course the next 15 20 days was about the colossal search and rescue because uh, their helicopter had gone deep into the river and extricating the bodies was a very difficult thing so i still remember every 6th uh, day or so we would have a funeral and uh, it's one of yeah. us who left i can i can i can sense that you know because as an atc officer and um, i know the wonderful couple that you and pillar you are uh, uh, you know husband has been a helicopter pilot a great friend of mine and i am I'm, i'm very very sure that the kind of people we are in the armed forces and especially in uh, places where the atc and all of us interact it takes the person who receives the information is actually has to keep his emotions tremendously under control and take the next step because the next step is very important at that time and it's only when this this whole thing uh, sinks into you maybe a day or two then you really and i can i can tell sense that even after so many years there is a there is an emotional connect with uh, those departed souls so god bless those souls and uh, so that's that's the tough part of our life we i guess uh, when we do these kind of missions we are actually so well connected uh, moving on to uh, rui uh, i'm 
you know, you said you are the first batch of women ATC officers. And then your last posting, interestingly, also, as you shared with me, was you were what is called as the senior air traffic control officer at a, a fighter base, right? Yes, sir. So that means to say you were in a position of, if I was to classically call, you were heading a sub-department or a sub-domain. So it was a leadership role, right? So any kind of thoughts or when you want to describe leadership, what would your thoughts be? First of all, Air Force has been a wonderful platform uh, to uh, put it very straightforward. Where uh, right from the start in our uh, career, I do not think that I have uh, personally come across any gender biases in terms of my working capabilities, in terms about uh, the uh, responsibilities which were uh, given to me by my seniors who had that vision and who had that courage of conviction or who knew who had faith, absolute faith that, okay, once it is handed over to her, the job is done and it will be done well. Right. So maybe having grown up in that environment, uh, uh, you have to, of course, uh, uh, prove your professional mettle. That goes without saying, and that goes for anybody, X gender or a Y gender doesn't. You're a professional, you're a professional. And Air Force has been um, a wonderful uh, organization as far as this is concerned. It was an equal opportunity, equal platform given to all of us. And uh, so, yes, definitely have, uh, at a particular seniority when you're expected to take uh, charge. Yeah. Uh, my seniors, my organization uh, thought it uh, befitting uh, that the baton should be handed over to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think whatever was tutored or whatever I had seen my seniors or by virtue of my training and uh, my professional competence, uh, uh, it was a good experience. And uh, as any leader, I'm supposed to be uh, fully prepared to handle a particular ex-contingency with my entire men, material, resources towards uh, the overall organization goal, of course. So, yes, subordinate development uh, becomes a very important factor in that. One particular thing has been, uh, you know, you should always be doing whatever you do. Do it your best and lead by example. Oh. This is one underlining factor which I always personally follow. Okay. That uh, leading by example, exactly. there is no scope of ambiguity or leaving for your men, your uh, women are placed under you that, okay, so-and-so has not performed. So if you're leading by example, I think things fall in place. I would like to also borrow from uh, Field Marshal uh, Chetwood from armed forces background. So those lines of when I went uh, to IMA for my brother's passing out, and reading those lines definitely had an impact that uh, that the honor, safety, and welfare of your country comes first, always and every time. The men you command, their safety, welfare, and comfort comes next. Your own comfort and safety comes last, always and every time. So I think if you're able to handle that particular thing and lead by example, uh, the challenges and the organizational goal, will everything will automatically fall into its place. Hundred percent, Rui. Rui, I can, I can make out your passion, your your professional spirit, uh, the conversation we had. I'm sure you are reliving your 23 years, and you have been one of the very passionate professional in the way you are explaining things. Uh, this could go long and long and long. And in the virtual space that we are due to the pandemic, 
we can't really enjoy the chai and pakoda which uh, we could have maybe enjoyed during this conversation that was so, one crew room thing yes that's so, that's what the important part of a crew room is you know where you just sit and you say ghanti dabaiye chai laiye and you enjoy things and you you just connect so we we been great friends and it not only my my entire gratitude and gratefulness of course to you at a personal level but all the atc officers whom i have met i am dedicating this particular episode to each and every air warrior who's working relentlessly so as to ensure that the operations of the indian air force go in a safe manner amazing amount of ownership amazing amount of uh, camaraderie is displayed between the operational branch that is the flying branch and the atc so long live this kind of camaraderie thank you so much for joining thank you so much for joining me rohi and spending your time with us and uh, this was one amazing conversation with uh, wing commander rohi kuchwa bhullar and uh, we hope to see you next time with some lovely conversations with few of the another air warriors who would have done some phenomenal amount of service uh, in their service careers so till then stay tuned thank you and jai hind